BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Air France. Just when I thought it couldn't get any better, Air France recently announced their newest chef partner. Starting September 1st, the new onboard menu will be designed by Daniel Rose of Le Cucou in New York and Spring Restaurant in Paris. In true Air France fashion, each meal comes with wine and champagne pairings so you can really wind down. See you in the sky. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Perez. On episode four, we welcome Teen Vogue editor-in-chief, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. At 28 years old, Lindsay is the youngest black editor-in-chief at any major publication. After spending time at Teen Vogue, where we actually met as young interns in 2012, Style.com and The Cut, Lindsay has established her voice in the industry, tackling race, culture, and politics through the lens of fashion. In September 2018, she penned Everywhere and Nowhere, what it's really like to be black and work in fashion, an expose on the fashion industry with over 150 testimonials from people of color, from designers, assistants, models, and more that highlighted the abuse of black culture as a marketing tool while simultaneously rejecting black people within the industry real opportunity. Now she's bringing her voice to Teen Vogue, where she's leveraging her position to create space for inclusive, diverse, and important conversations for the next generation. In this episode, we go behind the scenes of Lindsay Peoples-Wagner's Teen Vogue, talk about our hopes for a more inclusive fashion industry, and how she's keeping the next generation informed. Here's my friend, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. What was your first experience with fashion? I guess my first intro to fashion was really my grandmother. Um, She was the one who I spent a lot of my summers with, and... I was just really close with her, and so um, she worked at a steel factory during the day, but she was really always into fashion. And so um, we would go to a senior citizen center, and we would make clothes and rugs and pillows and just everything. Um, she liked to knit, so crochet. like, um, And so I just really liked all of that, but it took a while for that to translate into, oh, I can do something with this. I just thought it was really always a hobby um, for a really long time because no one in Wisconsin really becomes a fashion designer or goes to work in fashion. So it didn't really click for a long time. Was there something specific about that time that informed the way you dress now or the way you experience fashion? Um, I mean, I think my grandmother really was always, she was just always super chic. Like right. even though she didn't have a ton of money, she was a single mother and she had five kids, but she always looked so sophisticated and I always really adored that. And I, I take that with me now for sure. I mean, she was always like really dressed up for a lot and she like went to church. So she always, you know, the gloves, the hat, the shoes, the purse, like it was like wow. a, a full look. Full fashion show in there. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Was there a moment that that passion for fashion and seeing the way your grandmother dressed changed into 
you saying, okay, this could be a real career for me. How am I going to push this forward? Yeah, a couple different things. I mean, I feel like over time, um, like I remember in high school really liking, you know, I loved Teen Vogue magazine. I still have all the magazines. I did all these collages on my walls. Um, I would sneak and watch Sex and the City, even though my mom told me not to. Um you know, then when The Hills came on, I was obsessed with The Hills and continued into watching The City, even though The City was terrible. It was like, I just, I think it was like multiple things. For sure. It was very, it was omnipresent when we were younger, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely, it was definitely something that was everywhere. But I remember my high school boyfriend, um, I had like told him that I wanted to do something in fashion. And he was just like, I don't know why you're even trying to do this. Like, this is, this is like really far-fetched. Like, this is a lot. And I just remember being like, I'm totally going to break up with you, but I'm also going to do this <laughs> because wow. you just said that I can't do this. Um, and I did break up with him. <laughs> and you did do this. <laughs> yes. You very much did do this. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what he thinks now. Mm. You were 17 when you were at Teen Vogue. Yeah. It's so weird. I think I was – because I was 18. When I started um, But did you leave and come back? Yeah. So when okay. I started – I started interning – I, in the first time I interned was like during the winter when it was like they just needed people to clean the closet. Got it. Basically. Okay. And then I would come back in the summers and I came back over time. Yeah, I mean, I started working there straight out of school as well. So that was my first job too. Incredible first job. Yeah. It was so much fun. And by the time I started working there, Mary Kate, my old boss, had we had realized that we were both from the same place in Wisconsin. Because I oh, had wow. to run an errand one day and she called me. And I was like, why do you have the same area code? <laughs> Did you get a phone That's from Wisconsin? crazy. Yeah, and then we became really close, and I stayed there and worked under her for a while. She was great, I remember, from back in the day. Lovely person. But so you were at Teen Vogue, went to style.com, and then the cut. Mm-hmm. While you were doing that, was there a strategy in mind to reach some sort of end goal? Honestly, I never thought I would be an editor-in-chief. I just didn't think it was possible. I thought it would be wow. really cool. Um, I thought like, oh, you know, I wish, I wish like one day, maybe when I'm 40 that somebody will like consider me for this kind of job. Um, my goal honestly was, was to be a fashion director. Like that was like my, like, I really want to be a fashion director. At least I'll be making decent money and like have a director title. Like that's what I was only striving for. I think because I came into fashion differently than a lot of people. Um, I mean, when I was starting out at Teen Vogue, they didn't pay us much. So it was like I was working two jobs on top of that. Right. And I always felt like, okay, you know, I can continue to bust my ass and like I will do this because I want to do this job. But also I feel even then I remember feeling like I don't know that there's longevity in just a market position. And that's why I went to style.com. And I remember when um, I went, people were kind of like, oh, like why would, why would you go there? Like, I don't know why you're trying to write if you, like, want to do market. And at that time, it was very, like, if you're a writer, you're a writer. If you're market, you're market, like, very separate. Whereas, like, you know, it was, like, you know, church and state or, you know, print and digital were so separate. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always was, like, I don't know. Like, I think that I actually can do both. And that was always really a struggle for me because – I felt like I could style and I had a good eye, but I also feel like I have a lot to say and I'm a good writer and I just felt like I was constantly kind of being boxed in. So it was always 
on my mind. I think it was just depending on the place that I worked that allowed me to, to you know, stretch my wings as much as I really wanted to. So Lindsay wrote a piece in September 2018 called Everywhere and Nowhere, What It's Really Like to Be Black in Fashion. If you haven't read it, please go on the cut and read it because it was one of the most thought-provoking and editorial game-changer for me and the fashion industry and beyond. Thank you. But I wanted to ask the follow-up question a year later, um, since it has almost been a year from then, which is so crazy. What is it like to be black in fashion today, and do you feel any progress since that piece? Yeah, it's weird because that piece was just um, so many different things for me. And um, when I was done, I was like, I had written, you know, obviously intro and and some other things in there, but I really wanted to be everyone else's story. And then... When I got this job being the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue, I was like, oh, well, part two is basically my version of what it's like to be black in fashion because now I have this position. Um, and so it feels a little bit flipped. I don't know. It's um, it's hard. I think that people don't understand. Um, if you don't have friends who are people of color, it's hard to understand how loaded it can be when you're a person of color in this industry and people say crazy shit to me all the time. And it's like, either I can react and I can get mad or I can go about my day and move on. But either way, it's going to affect me. I'm not like a robot. I, I have feelings. I don't um, I don't want to be the person that's always angry. Like, that's not even my natural disposition. Um, but I think that it is, yeah, it's a, it's a constant struggle to be in this industry when you feel like, brands on the surface, you know, or on Instagram or say, you know, we care about something. And then when you're really in it, you're like, you know that they don't really care. And it's weird. I mean, I, it's only Edward and I, as far as black editor in chiefs, and he's a lot older than me. He's in the UK. I'm the only one here in the US. Um, And It's just a different experience, but also um, I'm just trying to take it in stride and do what I can. But it's very different when I've talked to other people in positions of power because I think that it's not the kind of job for me where you wake up and say, okay, you know, I'm just going to do kind of the things that I need to do and go about my day. It's like I have a responsibility. I have people counting on me. I have... um, so many people that have gone before me that have done so much before me that have made the way for me to do this and so um it just it's just a very different walk than I think that people would even imagine it to be during the process of putting that story together was there a moment that was the most astonishing that has stuck out to you today um I mean, because I did I did most of the interviews, and so um, I think I didn't realize how emotional people were. It was a little surprising to me because I had to really encourage a lot of people to talk. A lot of people were very still. There's definitely a generational difference because people who've been in the industry for a while don't want to say anything, and they really... You know, they've had to deal with a lot of things that I am super grateful for and respect them for, but they've also been ingrained into this of like, you know, if you have the seat at the table, be grateful that you have it. Whereas someone like me, I really, yes, I'm going to work hard and I will do my job and all of the above, but I also just felt like 
if I can't really be who I am, then like, why should I even be here? Like, I should go do something else with my life then. And so I think that really surprised me because a lot of the people that have been in the industry were really, really hesitant to talk. And then when they did talk, it was everyone was crying on the phone. They weren't like these like, oh, a cute 20 minute interview. None of my interviews were under two hours. Like I could have done so much more with that piece because everyone was just bawling, crying and so emotional and feeling like, you know, brands and celebs and publications and everyone kind of, you know, says one thing and does the other. And so I think that just really shocked me because I didn't realize how emotional and really traumatized a lot of people were when I was going into it. I was struck by almost every single quote, but one of them that kind of struck me the most was Gabby Prescott's. Mm -hmm. She talked about black women feeling like there can always only be one. Yeah. And I I want to talk about that just a little bit, just because of competition and how do you feel like you're raising the next generation as the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue now to not feel that competition? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing because I think that um, it's not necessarily just a black thing, but I think it is heightened in the black community because you know, for so long in street style, you only saw Shiona or you only saw, you only saw certain people in these spaces, basically. Um, and I think that really what led to the thinking on that train of thought was when I wrote a piece months before that um, about street style and how street style photographers like are obsessed with basically photographing girls that they think are hot and um, want to hit on and has nothing to do with fashion or finding the person's outfit interesting. And just the way that we get like so much validation from that pisses me off still. Like I, and I feel that way too. Like I feel a certain type of way. And it's one of those things where like we know and we, we can like get our heads out of it but you still feel insecure you still feel weird every time you go to a show and I think if you are not used to feeling comfortable around other women of color you are going to be like wait I want to be the one that they're taking photos of I want to be the one that they're highlighting and that brands are sending stuff to and that can just be hard I mean I even I had a conversation with a friend who a friend was saying oh you know I don't want to change my hair for fashion month because I feel like the photographers aren't going to um, recognize me. And they'll, you know, with with some of the other more popular white girls, they will, you know, just look them up or make sure that's them and kind of thing. But they won't take that same consideration with the black girl. So I'm not going to change my hair. And I, it, it's just, it's so tangled because it's like, well, damn, like, she's right. She's totally right. And I and I don't falter for that thinking, but it's also like I wish that we could get out of this thinking of like, you know, competing for that attention or like trying to get other people's approval so much. Um and just and just really support each other and like in vibe on that instead of it being like other people's opinions being what we think of each other and how we, you know, well that person gets more attention at this show. Like it's just it, it's tough because it's also, it's like a whole emotional battle within yourself. And no matter how secure you are, no matter how good you feel that day, like sometimes you can go to a show and be like, oh, shit, I, I didn't do it right today. <laughs> and it happens. Like There are some days that I wake up and, during fashion week and I just don't even want to partake. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't even gather the strength. But 
You always have a smile on your face, though, and you're always <laughs> the kindest whenever I see you. So it's a, that's always a like a highlight is when you see people that are there to genuinely show love and yeah and be in the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to see like normal people during yes. Fashion Month because you can give people a hug and be like, "Are you okay? Do you want to go eat fries? Are you good?" Like. Because you need that. You and know like, that I will be doing that to you now. Yes. <laughs> Since you've said that. <laughs> but so in that article, you stated, there have never been more than one or two black editors in chief of any major U.S. magazine and only one black designer leading a major American fashion brand, which means that you're now making history yeah. as the youngest African-American editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Yeah. Huge that's congratulations. Just, just that's what they tell you. But yeah. I have to say personally, huge congratulations, even though I haven't, I'm sure I have already, but... It's been amazing to see you just completely rise from our days in the closet to now. Thank you. Full circle journey. It's a wild journey. Wild <laughs> journey, but incredibly deserved. Thank you. Incredibly deserved. How do you feel the fashion editorial worlds have evolved since we were spring chickens? I mean, I think editorials are definitely more diverse for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. It hasn't had, like, a, as big of a domino effect, no. Um, I think that still behind the scenes, people are still using the same three photographers that they want to book, which they have every right to. But I do think that, like, that whole, the whole behind-the-scenes situation isn't as good as it should be. Agreed. Um, I mean, you still have models saying, like, oh, well, somebody can't do my hair here and somebody can't do my makeup here, which, like, doesn't need to be an issue anymore. There are enough people to book there are enough people at these agencies that can do a range. Um, and give new talent a chance. Yeah. It's kind of, it's just lazy. That's all it is. Completely. It's just like, people oh, this stuck is in a routine. Yes. So I think that it, yeah, I mean, I think the editorials have gotten better as far as that. I think, um, yeah, I think that as far as racial diversity, obviously still a lot to go. And what I touched on a little bit in that piece is I, I do think publications kind of rely on the same when they are like, oh, we want to do a woman of color, they rely on the same group. I also just feel like it's to check a box. And I don't mean to say that as offensively as it sounds. No, yeah, but, but that's, yeah. It's, and it's obvious and it's so impersonal that it really just, I think that that's where like a big shift needs to happen too, that it's not just about filling a quota. Yeah. But it's also like there are more black women than Beyonce, Rihanna, Serena Williams. Completely. Like you have to get, you have, and Lupita, that's, you know, you have to get, you <laughs> Don't know, forget Lupita. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what it's, that's the big hurdle for a lot of publications is like getting past that and, and accepting, okay, yes, these may be the big names that everyone recognizes, but let's take a chance on somebody else different. Because I do feel like, yeah, people take a lot of chances on white people all the time and it's like it's like totally fine (laughs) so I just think that that thinking needs to transfer to people of color being booked in different ways I think you're doing an incredible job of that on with Teen Vogue covers trying we're trying (laughs) I think I literally DM you every single time a new cover comes out and I'm just like you're in my brain like you are putting the people that like I'm obsessed with or like the people that I'm really paying attention to on the covers whether it's Little Nas X or Maggie Rogers um, and Millie Bobby Brown on the most recent one. She looks just like Natalie Portman. No, it's scary. baby Natalie Portman. Baby. And the cover is so beautiful. Thank you. She looks incredible. But what goes into selecting your cover stars? 
Um, it's really fun for me. I mean, it's stressful, but I actually really enjoy it because I think that um, it's a good challenge and it's really important. It's like the most front-facing thing for the brand. Totally. Um, so, I mean, I have rules. Like, I, I, I will not do, you know, three back-to-back white women on a cover. I think that if I'm doing that, then I'm not doing my job. And so I think that that's the thinking that I want people to get on um, instead of it, you know... Just like if you're a beauty editor, like if you don't understand or care about or go to black beauty appointments, like you're not doing your job as a beauty editor. And yeah, like I, I love, you know, all the big luxury brands, beauty stuff too. But if that's your job, like you should be able to tell me what kind of curl pattern I have and like what kind of hair gel I should use and all of that. Like that's part of your job. And so I take that seriously as part of my job is, okay, I need to put different kinds of people on these covers and take more chances that other people won't, but like deserving people, very much deserving people. So, I mean, my first one that I, I mean, we turned around in a month was Young Hollywood and I was really like, you know, nobody's going to give Yalitza a cover, but like Roma is the most incredible Mm -hmm. thing ever. Um, Jarell Jerome, I was like, you know, I just, I loved him in Moonlight. We knew about When They See Us. And I was like, he has to be on a cover. Like, people may not understand that this is such a big deal, but, like, we have to put him on a cover. Um, so many different people that we've done on covers that I just felt like needed that moment and deserving of that moment. And I feel like if I can help uplift their name and uplift their career, like, that's that's really a joy. Like, that's what I want to do. I think my favorite cover was your first one, which might be kind of biased, but um, it was with Serena Williams and Naomi Wadler in conversation with you. Mm -hmm. And what struck me the most about that was the generational divide within the conversation, which I think is rare for Teen Vogue. I haven't seen that as often as I'd like to. Yeah, yeah. What was the intent with including that dual perspective within the conversation? Yeah, because I'm just trying to go someplace with it, honestly. I think that over the years, um, if you've seen Teen Vogue covers, it's been a lot of, um, it's been a wide span of people. Like, Beyonce was on a cover, or like, Anne Hathaway. Like, it's been, like, really um, incremental for a lot of people at certain times in their careers. But I think now, really, where I'm trying to go with it is that it's not just young people that are really inspiring you. Like, someone like Serena Williams is just an icon for every young girl and every woman who's like, I'm, I just look up to her. She's amazing. She's resilient. She works hard. She's, like, building her brand. And, like, I'm in support of that. And I think that It used to just be this thinking of, like, you kind of have to be just an actress or, you know, kind of a singer to be, you know... It used to be, like, who's the Disney Channel star. Right. And I think now it's definitely, like, look, like, we all are just trying to figure it out. Like, none of us are perfect and none of us, like, even if it looks good on Instagram, like, none of us have it all, like, 100%. So let's be real and have conversations about how, you know, someone like Serena with all the success is dealing with Naomi Wadler, who's, you know, been such a young, incredible activist and is trying to figure out how to grow up. Like, I think that that's where we need to go. I think also you have a way more informed audience than you ever have. Yeah, for sure. Like teen youth today, especially with Teen Vogue, you've created a space where the conversation is different. Yeah, and I think... um, it resonates with me because it was, like I said, it's it's always been more than just about the clothes. Like, it had 100%. to be more. And so I think that, 
now it is like, okay, who, you know, who's having a conversation that we want to have? Um, like I felt that's why I wanted to do a little Nas X and Uncover because I was like, everybody's talking about him. He's had the number one song for for the almost like the longest record now, I guess, in like two so weeks. Crazy. You know, he's just doing really incredible things and he's so young. And I was just like, nobody's going to do this because they don't, they're going to wait until he's like, oh, another album, another this, whatever, to, to make it like, okay, you're good enough for this. But he is deserving and everybody still listens to this song clearly. So why not just do it? And I think our readers like really appreciate it because he's just like a young kid trying to figure it out. And like, there is no, there's nothing better than that when you're really just encouraging and supporting that narrative. I think there's such like a disconnect between fashion and intellect in a way. Oh yeah. That feels so, it puts a lot of pressure on any person in fashion, I feel like. I remember seeing when when Teen Vogue was transitioning, seeing the amount of people that were like, you guys are a fashion magazine, like stick to what you know. Yeah. And it's hard that that's put on the community that they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't think, and I say this in meetings, like I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, caring about Trump and, you know, really wanting to understand like what's going on in politics, but also wanting to buy the new Prada boots. Like, I don't think that the two have to be a separate person or a separate thought. Like, you can care about the way you look or love fashion and also care about the world. And so I think that just that thinking in general is so old school that, like, if you buy a fashion magazine, you're only this kind of person and you're only, like, you know, you only care about these set of things. Like, I care about the world. Do I want a new Prada bag all the time? I mean, like, <laughs> what what do you want me to do about it? It's like, I, that's fine. Right. I feel like today is so much about breaking down the boxes that we, that society put up and put us in. Yeah, absolutely. Because there is there is no box. It's like, what? Is there a story that sticks out to you as one of your proudest? Um, At Teen Vogue or in general in my life? Ooh, at Teen Vogue so far. Okay. Um, at Teen Vogue, I would say, hmm, I was really proud of our Acne Awards that we did recently. I was um, hoping you'd say that. <laughs> because I really, I was really a stickler on the casting for that. And I really, um, I just really felt that I wanted young girls to feel like it's okay. And also that, you know, all these people like face tune the shit out of their photos anyway. So like, don't feel like an alien if you wake up with a pimple. And there really isn't a lot of beautiful imagery with girls with acne. And so that was a big thing for me. And I was like, we have to book girls that, you know, have different kinds of acne and can talk about, you know, different things with their skin. And the imagery was really beautiful. I mean, it looked like a campaign, even though it wasn't, it was just like for us. Um, but I was really proud of that because I feel like that's a, a lasting thing that people will look at. And so many young girls DM'd me just saying thank you, which I don't even need, but like is, is really just nice to know that that image helps them because when we were growing up, you didn't see anyone with acne in a photo. It was like... All airbrushed. Yeah, everything is airbrushed. And so um, that was just, that's something recently that, I was, that I'm really proud of. I love that. Yeah. Is there a particular part that's the most challenging to you right now? Um, I think 
it's just it's a lot to manage in general. For sure. Um, this is the first time I've managed people, so it definitely I can't manage people to save my life. <laughs> I don't even think I can manage myself. So yeah. I. My hat's off to you in general. It's hard. It yeah. really is. And it's a lot emotionally to like, you know, try to meet people where they're at and just understand where they're feeling and not just immediately be like, please stop talking to me. Um, so it's a lot. But I do think it's just been an overhaul of so many things that I just now am feeling like I'm finding my groove. So. Do you ever feel that within the company in terms of your age? Because I remember I had a job when I was like right out of school and I was younger than some of the people that I would be sitting alongside a desk with or sitting at in a conference room with. And I remember it being a big thing to me that I didn't feel as respected because of my age. Oh, yeah. I think, I think some people definitely, they definitely assume they know who I am because I'm younger and because I'm black. And then when I open my mouth, I think that they are a little bit surprised. But I'm also not the person, like, when I'm in meetings and stuff, I'm not the person that just, I don't like to just talk to, I don't like to hear myself talk. I'm like, if I have something to say, I'll say it, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, and I think, and then it, like, I really, I, I'm not You get not to the, the point. Person. Yeah. And so I think that catches people off guard a bit that I'm just very, okay, but here's what I can do. Thank you so much. <laughs> have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there something from your previous roles that you think prepared you to be the way you are in your current role? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things at the cut that I really um, would always struggle with was when I kind of started different columns or tried to shoot certain people, I would get a lot of pushback from brands or, you know, People saying, oh, this piece may not do well, or, you know, maybe people don't know who she is enough yet, or um, brands, you know, saying this person isn't on brand, or, you know, this person just isn't the right fit for us, even though they have a really big name. The most common example I use is I did uh, Issa Rae when um, Insecure was already really popular, and she had already had, like, multiple profiles in the Times, um, and brands just still wouldn't loan, and I really under I just I started to really understand that there's so many different people in power at play in these situations and it's hard to explain to people because they'll be like you know people on Instagram or whatever they'll just say like oh I don't understand why this person isn't doing this or why and it's like you have no idea you have no idea all that goes into even like getting this person into something or getting this brand to say yes to something um I had a friend who worked at Vestiaire and Outnet and a couple other like actual like e-commerce places and I ended up just getting um those brands on her anyway and I sent it to him and I was like look like you know here she is like wearing luxury brands and like she's wearing them well and she deserves you know to be highlighted in this way and she deserves to be someone that fashion brands are wanting to dress and inviting to shows and whatever and I mean, she looks amazing, and Jason does an amazing job with her. And, I mean, she, you know, then she ended up doing the CFDAs and got a cover girl contract. And, like, that's that's what we're supposed to be doing. Pro like, tip, don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally was like, what are they going to do? Like, I don't, like, I didn't get the calls from them, so it's like, whatever. But I think that that really just helped me, I think, continue to have, like, a resilient attitude about things because – a lot of these, you know, a lot of these situations, there's still people in power that are so old school and, you know, 
are just too scared to make any changes um, and you still have to fight to do it and prove them wrong. There's a quote from your Instagram that I absolutely love. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love your Instagram. Because I, I, really, I make fun of myself all the time. <laughs> I also appreciate it because when I was growing up, when we were growing up, I feel like the place of the editor-in-chief was like behind the curtain. Right. It was very inaccessible, and I love how open and communicative you are, and it makes me want to read the magazine. It makes yeah. me want to be a part of your community because you are so approachable. So hats off to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I loved this because it was a glimpse into kind of the back end. Um, having so many important conversations on Teen Vogue right now, including deciding to have an abortion if you don't want to tell your parents. I'm fully aware a lot of our content scares people, but not talking about these things only does young people a disservice. My entire goal in this job has been to be what I needed when I was younger. So whether you agree or disagree on the issue, what every young person deserves is the knowledge and tools to make their own decisions. Yeah, I mean that. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to fill that void? I mean, I think it's just... Yeah, uh, I mean that. (laughs) No, I I really do. No, of course. Because I think that, um, you know, it's hard because I think that a lot of topics people assume that that are off for us to cover and... It's not about personal opinions. It's not about, you know, the way that you personally would want your own child or your, you know, your sister or your niece. It really is about giving people the knowledge and tools to make smart decisions for their own life. And so I really felt like, you know, a lot of these things that people would drag us for, it's like, well, I don't think we should ignore, like, euphoria. Like, I don't, just because people think that it's too you know x-rated for a teenager to not watch like they're watching it so i think that we should have a conversation i don't think that like avoiding these things makes it any better and i also just think that you know we're just doing people a disservice if we assume that oh they already know or we know where they're getting information from and and we've done so many surveys on our snapchat about you know like where do you where did you first learn about sex and it's like they all say the internet they all say this movie they all like have you know the pop culture references um and if we can be an actual like practical and knowledgeable place where they can come and learn about sex or learn about if you want to have an abortion and what you should know or like we did one about um if you're going to send nudes like read this post before you send it because i mean if people think that people aren't saying nudes it's like that's not true it's like, I'm not encouraging them to, but do I want them to be smart about it if they are? Absolutely. So we talk about, okay, like, you know, here's what to think about if you're sending it on Snapchat versus if you're sending it, you know, on WhatsApp. And we go through an actual checklist of like, here's what you should think about. Maybe send it to yourself first and see how you feel. Maybe, you know, sleep on it. Like we just go through a list of if you're going to do this anyway, at least read this to think about it before you do it because you never know where this image may end up. Based on your first year at Teen Vogue, how would you describe the next generation? How would you describe your readers? Just super passionate. Um, And I love it. I think that, you know, the passion is real. And I think that young people care so deeply about the world. Um, And 
they are not the future. They're right now. Everything that young people are doing is really changing the atmosphere of, of the way that we live. I mean, it's been really young people that are saying, hey, actually, like, the world is kind of on fire and um, global warming is a real thing. <laughs> and when you see someone with a straw, you, they get the look because it's like, why are you using that straw? That's because of young people. That's not because of, like, older people being like, well... We've been using straws for 40 years, and maybe we should stop. Um, you know, the revolutions of all these things are happening right now because of young people. And so I love that. I think the only thing that I want to get our reader past is really the cancel culture part of it, because they are very quick, quick to, to like jump judge. on somebody yeah. and say, well, you're canceled. We hate you. No more. Um, and so I do... You know, I, I am conscious of that and trying to get our reader past that because we all make mistakes. Like, I'm not perfect. I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. Um, and these brands aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes and do things that they shouldn't have done and apologize for them. And hopefully we can move on in a better way with them. Um, so I think it's it's a balance of both of those things with our readers. That's really interesting. Is there something specific within the magazine that that you're working on to enhance that? I think it's just overall our tone and our voice, um, but also just recognizing that I think that it's hard for, you know, a lot of these brands to understand that you really have to go about it in a way that feels really thoughtful and community-based instead of just saying, like, we're sorry, oops, we didn't mean to do that. It's like, if you're not really hiring anybody to really change anything at the company, if you're not really making an effort to you know, change the casting in your campaign or change who you're inviting to things. You can't really expect young people to feel like, oh, they really care about me. I should really spend my money here. Um, And so I think that it's like a weird disconnect um, for people. But I just try to, I think in the voice and the tone of way we cover things, remind our reader that, yeah, I mean, you should support the brands that you feel like support you and support your community and support the things that you care about. And that's up to your discretion. Another thing that I've been seeing that I love is, well, to preface, Teen Vogue just had Sweet 16, Mm -hmm. and Storm Reid was on the special cover, Mm -hmm. and you guys threw a big Sweet 16 party in Austin. This was totally just me wanting to do this, I should say that. Yeah, um, it's funny because a lot of people were like, Austin. (laughs) Um, Right, me too, but then I was like, wait there are probably a lot of Teen Vogue readers there. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, A, wanted to do, it. It was it's our Sweet 16 this year, and I just thought it was a cute moment to celebrate and something that we could do every single year with someone who's turning 16. Um, it's a big point of identity in young people's lives still. So I was like, let's throw a party. This will be fun. Uh, Storm is turning 16, and love her in Euphoria, and when they see us, and she's just an incredible love young in human being. Yeah. Um, and so... But when I said I wanted to do it in Austin, it really came from this place of not wanting to assume that people had the privilege to come to our events in L.A. or New York. I think that a lot of times, um, you know, as brands and publications, we kind of spend a lot of um, we spend a lot of time in a bubble of talking to people about how we're going to do things. But then don't actually talk to a lot of other people outside of that circle of like, well, what do you want to do? Like, wh- like, where do you want to see what would be really cool? And it's like, I just didn't want to continue to do stuff only in, in the two big cities because it just feels like these are the only cool people we want to celebrate. And these are the only, like, you have to, you know, 
oh, well, if we're doing it in New York, like, it'll be all girls dressed in, you know, the cool clothes and all that. And I love it. But it's also, like, when we went to Austin, the line was around three blocks. The girls were so excited. There were so many different people. It was crazy packed. And everyone was just so excited and so grateful that we were there. And I was so happy we did it because it was, like, this is exactly what I want to do more of. Like, just talk to people, young people that are in a different space that maybe they do have the dream of hopefully one day coming to New York, but, like, they're trying to figure it out now. And if I can at least, like, you know, have that moment where they're like, oh, man, I got to go to a Teen Vogue event and, like, I got, like, a glimpse of, you know, fashion and whatever, like, that could change someone's life. And that's a cool opportunity to give someone. So I'm hoping to do more stuff in Chicago, Detroit, like, all those places. I'm, I'm trying. That's amazing. In the future, what do you want Lindsay Peoples Wagner's Teen Vogue to be remembered as? Um, We've got a lot going for you right deep now. Deep question. Off I this don't interview. know. <laughs> I have uh, a lot going for you. <laughs> um, I don't. I just want people to you know, to remember that we really are. I that I really just have so much love for this industry, but also you know passion to really change things, and I think in a real, authentic, visceral way um, to make things better. I think that it's incredible in my lifetime to feel like all these people have done so much before me, but I think that, yeah, it would be really cool to, you know, see where it takes us in 50 years of, like, how much can change, like, how much, how maybe one day people really will feel seen and heard and and I hope that they feel that now but like I hope that they will feel seen and heard in a larger way not just on Teen Vogue you know in every brand and publication in decades so I hope I hope that happens but being an editor-in-chief at 28 in a perfect world what would be next like next job or next next thing to do in my life I don't want to say next job because you just started. I know you have so much to do. I don't want to put that. I don't want to discredit the current phase you're in in your life. But honestly, um, I don't know. I just feel like I have an interesting perspective and I would I would love to work with brands more on inclusivity and diversity. And that's something I've been just kind of doing now just as like friends of people or whatever. But I I would love to do more of that for sure. Other than that, I honestly don't really know. I really don't. I mean, I'm I'm coming out with a small book in September because I was like, um, I just want to try this. I just want to see where I am. I didn't want to do a memoir yet. I feel like I'm too young and it honestly is it's a bit arrogant when people do it at my age because I have not learned enough. I'm not the smartest person ever. I feel like I there's so much more in my life that I need to figure out. And so I don't want to be at this point where I'm like, well, I got it all figured out, girl. I'm Michelle Obama in here. I'm not Michelle Obama. <laughs> like, we're, we're not at that point. Um, so, I mean, that could be something that I would do one day, but, like, nowhere near that now. But the small book that I'm coming out with is – um, following Christopher John Rogers, Rosie Asselin, and Becca McCarran Tran of Chromat. The book just follows um, the three of them because they're at very different points in their careers. And I just thought it would be cool because I feel like there's so many people that go to, you know, 
school for fashion or think they want to be in fashion, but don't actually have like the practical tools and resources and knowledge of like, okay, actually you do need more than a hundred thousand dollars or, you you know, like you do need a team to do X, Y, and Z. And so, um, I really just wanted to be able to give people the resources for that and talk about, you know, three designers that I know really, really deeply care. They're, they don't care about being famous. They don't care about, you know, whatever, like they really just love the work that they do. Um, Who was the third designer? Uh, Becca McCarran Tran from Chromat. Got it. And I mean, Chromat, she's done like the sickest and amazing, most amazing things with Chromat. The casting is always, you know, so incredible. And she just has a really interesting story of like restarting the brand so many different times. Right. And really just changing that whole conversation of like what swimwear should be and like what where we should go with clothing that is size inclusive and, and I making feel like that she's norm. been pioneering that for a long time yeah but yeah. she's been hustling for a long time um and so that's in comparison with obviously Christopher John Rogers who just kind of started and um just got nominated for a CFDA and then Rosie Aslan oh, who I tears. love and adore yeah. um and she's just like the sweetest person on the planet and so down to earth and will give you the real advice that you really need to figure out like what am I even doing and so it's I was honestly just something that I really was like excited to do and and I just want to be a resource like I'm not like even promoting it in a way to people for people to buy it I was just like I love these people what's the biggest (laughs) piece of advice that you have for someone who wants to break into the industry um figure out how bad you want it because I do think that a lot of people come up to me and say they want to be a fashion editor, but really they just want to be an influencer. And that's totally fine, but that's a different thing. And I think that, you know, it's figure out how bad you want it in the sense of, okay, do I really want to bring something different to the industry or do I just want to do a market page on trench coats? Because, like, we don't need really any more of those people. Everybody has a trench coat. Everybody knows, (laughs) you know, you get an ASOS one or you get a Burberry one. There really isn't that much in between. So it's like... Okay, like we need people who have something to bring to the table, who have a voice, who have something interesting. Um, And if you want it that bad, you'll search for that. Um, But if you don't, I mean, you can do a ton of other things. I just think that there is less and less room for people to just kind of be, you know, like how there used to be like a swim editor. And it's like, that's not a job anymore. But that used to be a good job <laughs> to only go to, like, Miami Swim Very and all true. that. Yeah. Like, those kinds of things aren't – they're not a job anymore, but that's also not, like, essential to, like, the voice of any publication anymore. And so when you want it that bad, you'll figure it out. And you talk a lot about the female mentors in your life that have helped guide you, whether it's Rachel Wang, Stella Bugby, MK from Teen Vogue. Yeah, yeah. How are you passing, passing down the torch of female mentorship yourself? I've done so many different things over the years of like, you know, just having a bunch of black girls in my apartment, um, you know, trying to foster just a network of young women of color to feel like they're supported. Um, I feel like I now transfer that into making sure that I hired people of color, um, which was a really big deal for me because I've never I've never had a black boss. And so I really wanted to make sure that I was hiring women of color that really were deserving and felt like, you know, they needed that foot in the door. They needed the opportunity. It's all different kinds of things. But I think that even just like, you know, when I get messages from young girls on Instagram, I message them back and it's like, I will help you in any way that I can. Like, I will be here to support you if you're like, hey, I'm really trying to get a job here. I sent my resume. Do you happen to know anyone? Like, I'm the first person to be like, yeah, here you go. Like, 
I think it's just helping other people. And I think that it's something like everybody like always is like, oh, I want a mentor and da da. And like, I think that conversation is obviously important and you want somebody to look up to, but it's also a little overrated. I've had incredible bosses who I love and adore and still talk to regularly, but also I work my ass off. And so even though I haven't felt like I always had the right connections or, you know, I didn't really feel like I was in the right circle. Like it's it's partially you and figuring out like where you need to be in that space and making a name for yourself in that space. For more, subscribe to the Friend of a Friend podcast on the Apple podcast page and our newsletter on friendofafriend.com.